The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, Ctrace, COA and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, very, very. The only crime victim you hear about from Democrats in the media is Paul Pelosi. We don't settle our differences in America with a riot, a mob, or a bullet, or a hammer. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. They're ready. They're ready to fire Kathy Hochul. You know why nothing changed in the state of New York? Because I'm the governor. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Donald Trump stokes the fires again, publicly flirting with a run in 2024. Even before the elections next week. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we walk into the final weekend of the cycle. Here we are. Crazy time. Fully intact with almost 300 so-called election deniers on ballots across the country and power on Capitol Hill in the balance. We'll bring you a special conversation for the moment. Major Garrett is here with us, longtime Washington correspondent, and of course now with CBS News and co-author of the new book, The Big Truth. Later, Paul Pelosi out of the hospital as we learn new details about his attack, while Nancy Pelosi considers her political future. Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins covers the leadership in the House and joins us tonight. Along with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano here for the hour. And so here we are, the threshold of the last weekend of the midterm campaign. With Donald Trump steering attention away from the candidates he's endorsed and onto himself. Leaking, first of all, that he may announce a run for re-election on or around November 14th. They actually got the date out there. Start building the risers. Uh, and then this little tease last night at a rally in Iowa. Here he is. I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? Very, right. very, very probably. Very, very, very <laughs> Very, very. Those T-shirts are already out there, right? Yeah, it doesn't take a lot, boy. Not on this night in Iowa. Chuck Grassley in the house. It was outdoors, actually. John Deere hats everywhere. Oh, that's nice. Well, get ready. That's all I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. Get ready. Okay. And then the reports get are everywhere. Ready. November 14th, which is all, you know, it's basically what he's already said. Just two more varies. Uh, so people like me will play it for you. Uh, and of course, Donald Trump is not on the ballot next Tuesday, but a lot of his chosen candidates are. And as we've discussed Many, including those who continue to question the outcome of the 2020 election, are poised to win. President Biden spoke about that last night, too. Listen. It's estimated that there are more than 300 election deniers on the ballot all across America this year. We can't ignore the impact this is having on our country. It's damaging, it's corrosive, and it's destructive. With candidates for Secretary of State, Attorney General, 
of course, governor, potentially stacking states like Arizona with, yes, election deniers. And boy, I know that can be qualified in a lot of different ways, and I'll have to deal with that after. But that's why I wanted to talk with Major Garrett tonight, as everybody goes into a hopefully a big thinking weekend. The CBS News correspondent, chief Washington correspondent, is out with a new book, but he co-wrote with David Becker. It's called The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. There are a few working journalists in Washington who have his sense of history. And I want to welcome you, Major, to Bloomberg Sound On. Thank you for joining us. I'm very, 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 very happy to be with you. <laughs> very, very well done. You not only work to debunk conspiracies in this book surrounding the 20 election, but you move the ball forward here to next week and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. Could you have imagined when you started writing this that so many politicians who say Joe Biden stole the election would be nominated and poised to win? I feared it might be true. And one of the reasons that David and I felt compelled to write the book was to have something permanent, comprehensive, one place where you can get all the answers you're looking for about this fundamental question. And look, I don't consider it an unimportant question. Mm -hmm. Was the election in 2020 stolen? That's a really important question. It's an important question about any election, and it should and deserves to be answered. And it has been. I like to sometimes talk about this in NFL terms. Hmm. There have been more than 100 video reviews of the same play. They've all upheld the original call, okay? Mm-hmm. And it's not close. It's not as if there is one part of the cleat hanging ever so slightly over the sideline, making the difference between a first down or a fourth down or a touchdown or a non-touchdown. It's not close. Yeah. All the video reviews, all of the courts, all of the people who have been asked for the quote-unquote evidence have either provided evidence that doesn't exist, that doesn't say what they say it does, or walked away. And let me give you a very specific contemporary, very recent example. There is a documentary out there. It has the number 2000 in it. I won't grace it with its full title, but it has the title 2000 in it. I think I made that mistake. You have to pay $30 to watch it. You have to pay $30 to watch it. You do? Okay. Wow. This is why I've not seen it. This is, the, this is one of the parts of this. And two jurisdictions in our country, Arizona and Georgia, yeah. said, you know what? This looks interesting to us. And went to the producers of this film and said, we would like to see your evidence. Nothing was given to the law enforcement entities in Arizona and Georgia. Nothing. Because it would have to withstand what? Scrutiny. It would have to actually prove what is tantalizingly but deeply deceptively suggested. And that's what's part of this whole carnival of lies around the 2020 election. And there's actually a very good news story, not only about the 2020 election, but about what's going to happen on Tuesday, which is... Our elections are local. There is no federal department of elections. We do this locally. We do this at the city, county, neighborhood, and precinct level. 10,000 of them across our country. Americans, your neighbors do this hard work. Many of them volunteers, many of them professional election administrators, some Democrats, some Republicans, some independents, but all devoted to one thing, 
making sure people can cast their ballots calmly, safely, accessibly, and that those ballots are accurately counted. Yeah. And we do that work in our country now better than we've ever done it before. Well, that is not even close. Joe Biden or whoever is writing uh, the speech last night crystallized your point pretty well last evening. Listen to how he puts it. The great irony about the 220 election is that it's the most attacked election in our history. And yet, and yet, there's no election in our history that we can be more certain of its results. How do we rationalize that? Uh, knowing so, the, the stark numbers of people who still believe this. So I, I, as you might imagine, I've given this a lot of thought. And when you read the book, and I hope people who have questions about the 2020 election will take the time to read the book or ask somebody who has, because I, David and I go out of our ways to say, Trump supporters who have doubts about this election are not all rioters. They're not all insurrectionists. They're patriots who love this country. We believe they yeah. love this country. We're not trying to lecture them. I don't of course. want to ever sound as if I'm lecturing them. I just want to say, to use a phrase that Abraham Lincoln used to use with some frequency, I just ask them to disenthrall themselves from the idea that something happened in the 2020 election to overturn a just result because somebody got into the system. It simply did not happen. And the former president of the United States lost that election, fair and square. It wasn't as close as the 2016 election. And down ballot, meaning in races where Donald Trump was not on the ticket. Right. As we all know, Republicans prevailed very well, yes. surprisingly well. And they were elected, as you know, and I want the audience to bring into their soul on the same ballot with the same process. So if they have the conferred authority at the state level or the federal level to say that election was corrupt. They're saying their election was corrupt and they right. never, ever say that. Right. Look, that's said where it a this lot of breaks times. apart, right, right at the, right at the edge. It just breaks apart right there. Those Which is why it's important to acknowledge coexist. you put that perfectly. It's important to acknowledge that it took a lot of Republicans to elect Joe Biden is also what you're saying. Yes. Yes. And guess what they did? Either they didn't vote uh, for the presidency. In Georgia, more than 20,000 people who cast ballots down ballot did not cast a ballot either for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. That almost never happens. Usually it's the other way around, as you well know. People vote the biggies and leave the little ones. No, no. They made a concerted 20,000. Trump lost by about 10,500 in Georgia. If he'd only persuaded half of the people who couldn't stomach voting for either of them to vote for him, he'd have won in Georgia. (laughs) And so here we find ourselves, Major Garrett, in a time of great stress and in a real conversation happening in this country about whether political violence is appropriate, which is incredible uh, to witness. And as you write in your book, more than a year after the attack on the Capitol, the public is still searching for accountability. The case cannot provide it. So how do you get to the next step from here? So there are meth- mechanisms by which accountability and accountability sometimes takes a long time. So there are defamations law- lawsuits against those who, in a quasi journalistic way, push the big lie. And those defamation suits, they've been asked over and over to get rid of them. They're not foundational. They have no basis. And courts have said over and over again, oh, no, there's a basis. And you've got to explain why you did what you did in public. To harm the reputation of these companies. That's one level of accountability. Clearly, the prosecutions of those who attacked the Capitol and committed acts of violence and desecration, that accountability is coming. And for the attorneys involved, some of them are losing their law licenses. Some of them 
are having other financial stresses placed upon them. Arizona's Attorney General, Mark Vernovich, who has said, and he said on 60 Minutes very recently, I looked everywhere I could to find evidence of fraud. I couldn't find it. What has he done recently? He has recommended the Justice Department look into possible RICO charges against people who perpetrate and profit from the big lie in an organized, systematic way, knowing it's wrong, but defrauding people who send them money because they believe they're being told the truth. These levels of accountability take a very, very long time. And sometimes the profiteers will make lots more money and pay fines, and the accountability will not be proportional. But accountability will come. I do believe in our system because the one thing I know about this election in 2020, those facts will never move. They will never change and they will never yield. Because of the reporting that you did. But of course, next Tuesday, there could be a new crop of politicians. To your point, as you write here, let's be clear, the fight is occurring at the local and state level where election denialism continues to fester. These are the people, of course, who will have if they win jurisdiction over counting these votes, over certifying the votes, in some cases, depending on how the state works, none, uh, none, none more than Arizona here, where you have Carrie Lake, who's running for governor, and Mark Fincham, uh, both could really uh, clean up next week. Mark Fincham set for to be the next secretary of state of Arizona. Listen to Carrie Lake two days ago, and it was just an, a remarkable moment that you probably heard, Major, talking about conspiracies, or I'll just remove that word, the 2020 election. Here's Carrie Lake. The truth is that Joe Biden did not win with 81 million votes. Laugh, another laugh track. And if, and if you believe he did, then you are the conspiracy theorist. All right. Yeah, right? If you if you were with us in Sound On, you heard that last uh, night or yesterday. Mark Fincham, of course, again, the candidate for Secretary of State of Arizona, uh, talking about uh, Carrie Lake's rival, who is who has that job right now, uh, Katie Hobbs, and how my goodness, you know, just imagine what could happen with this person who's not resigning. He thinks there should be a law forcing one to resign before they run for higher office. Here's Fincham. Well, it's not in law, so the current Secretary of State ain't gonna do it, even though she is the senior elections director over all elections. That's kind of like to use a baseball analogy. The guy who's up first to bat is also the umpire. Hmm. What could possibly go wrong? Major Garrett, what could possibly go wrong? So that's completely wrong, not surprisingly. Yes, in a certain constitutional way, Katie Hobbs is the highest election official in Arizona. But as the experience the grinding experience that's gone on for the better part of two years in Maricopa County illustrates elections are administered at the local level. And when there were challenges before the Arizona state legislature to what happened in Maricopa County and the state legislature empowered the creation of a recount by a rogue outside agency or entity called the cyber ninjas, that was to inspect a local jurisdictions handling of ballots the secretary of state had no power over that whatsoever okay the secretary of state in arizona can't change election results they are certified through a process administered locally and then verified and here's the thing that's worth remembering about the 2020 election 95 percent of our ballots were cast on paper the percentage in 2016 
an election that Donald Trump duly won and became the 45th president of the United States as a result of had about 73 to 74% paper ballots. Mm -hmm. Georgia didn't have paper ballots in 2016. Pennsylvania didn't. Trump won both of those states, okay? Why does a paper ballot matter? Because it is a verifiable paper and permanent and non-hackable right. reflection of voter intent. A chain of custody more is of them now than, Exactly. A chain of custody. They use the terminology, but they use it in ways that make <laughs> it sound like they know when they, more than they actually know. They don't know. What they know is just enough to be deceptive and to continue this idea that there was some big ghost in the machine to go back to my college days when I had that album by the rock band police. Okay. <laughs> there isn't a ghost in the machine. You can't hack paper. You can never hack paper. That's but what about the, the satellites. Major. Our system. Don't, the satellites, that. Don't oh, answer yes. that. <laughs> Which country? Oh, I, it, it rotates. Wait a minute. It's Italy. I thought no, it was Italy. Germany. No, it's Norway. Wait a minute. It's Venezuela. No, no, oh, it's Burundi. God. Oh, wait a minute. Burundi doesn't have satellites. Oh, maybe it's someplace else. <laughs> So then let me ask you lastly and more broadly, uh, what happens, what could go wrong when you have a state like Arizona and, and, and we could find other examples where you have a, a new governor and a secretary of state who are, in fact, election deniers going into 2024. So let's be clear. We don't know the results of this midterm election. I was Certainly. talking to a Republican and Democratic strategists in, about Arizona today, and they're like, that race is tightening. Things are things are going on that that that, whatever the polls were a couple of three days ago showing Carrie Lake kind of rolling this thing up. There's been that's receded a little bit. They're not sure how that's going to come out. So it's uh, very much up for grabs. Um, What is important to remember about whatever the outcome is in that Arizona election, the process by which that certified election result will be determined is precisely the same one as in 2020. So if Carrie Lake wins, she will be endorsing the process that she's been slandering for two years. And I do believe that there is a disinfectant quality to that kind of rank public hypocrisy. Wow. It's great to talk to you. It's been a long time. Major Garrett, thank you for the the time here on Bloomberg. It's fascinating and, and a read that I would recommend, The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy. In the age of the big lie, chief Washington correspondent for CBS News, and he wrote it with David Becker, the election uh, elections expert. Let's assemble the panel because it's something that we've talked about a lot around here with Rick and Jeannie, Bloomberg politics contributors and our signature panel. Uh, Rick Davis, your thoughts on this with only days to go. And as Major pointed out, some of these races are tightening. Nothing is set in stone here. But as the president said, what is it, 291, I think, so-called deniers as identified by the Washington Post, a lot of them are going to get elected next week. Yeah, first of all, kudos to Major Garrett for writing a definitive tome on what the facts were related to the 2020 election. That's really important to have out there. History is something we have to care about a year from now or two years from now or 10 years from now. I would say um, the only thing I'm surprised is by his you know, outlook on Arizona's competitiveness. If anything that, that I'm seeing is the, the Republicans have come home to roost. Um, Democrats haven't been able to sort of cut through the, 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 the three biggest issues in the state right now, which are mm-hmm. you know, inflation, crime and immigration. And, and you know, I, I think the only lagger on this is the secretary of state's race where, you know, uh, Fincham is 
behind by more than a margin of error and everybody else seems to be either up or dead even hmm. and dead even is not good for an incumbent democrat so right, yeah. um you know it'll be interesting to see what comes out but it is definitely a state we'll be talking about all next year new numbers show uh mark kelly doing better than he was a week ago rick do you believe them you know look i mean there's been this talk about a sort of democratic bubble uh, uh toward the end of october um, you know, we saw a little of that in the um, in some of the public polls in the, in, toward the end of October. But in the last two weeks, everything I've seen is sort of a Republican base coming back yeah. and being recharged. And um, and I, you know, I, I think I'd rather have the momentum going to elections than a poll from October. Fair enough. Jeannie, uh, what's your thought on on this and, and what it could mean for 24? That's really what we're talking about here, right? If election deniers in fact, do uh, find themselves in office and in control of election apparatus. That's the next stop here. And it's looking a lot like Donald Trump's going to be running if we believe what he's uh, leading on onto here. And same for Joe Biden. They both look like they're they're ready for a rematch. Uh, how do you how do you prepare to cover that? And, and how do you trust? How does how does the public trust what they're hearing in terms of numbers? I very, very, very believe that Donald Trump will probably run, <laughs> Joe Matthew. Um, so you're, you know, you're buying it, too. <laughs> I'm buying it, too. Um, you know, I think there's two uh, scary aspects, and, and I echo what Rick said about Major's book. It's in critically important. And what does history tell us, and what are we hearing even just today and on the ground? We're hearing people like Ron Johnson, who are running today for Senate in Wisconsin, saying he cannot commit to accepting the results of the election because, quote-unquote, he doesn't know what the Democrats have planned. So we have what looks like it will be a large number of contests from people should they lose. That's going to happen immediately as the results start to come in and may carry on for days, if not weeks or months. Then you go to the historic aspect of this, which is what you were talking about, you know, 291, some people are saying 350 election deniers on the ballot. Many <laughs> of those people will win. And yeah. what history tells us is that's how democratic backsliding occurs. People are elected democratically and they then they begin to dismantle the system from the inside. And that is the really scary part of this as we move from 2022 to Trump, Biden's announcements in 24 and other people, and we move to a system in which it is election deniers who are in control of these systems That's and begin to Orwellian change the stuff. rules. It's very Orwellian and very, very, very scary, Joe Matthew. <laughs> well, sure. And in some cases, Jeannie, it's because Democrats paid for their nominations. I mean... Some of these candidates we're talking about uh, were not the choice of the mainstream Republican Party. And we do have to remind ourselves of this. And that's going to have to be a, you know, a little bit of reckoning for Democrats if they win. It is. And, and in the case of Bolduck, which we talked reckoning. about yesterday, it's a big reckoning. It, it was not the right move. And my friends on the Republican side tell me often not to forget, and I think it's critical, critically important to be balanced. Democrats, too, have questioned, have questioned the outcome of elections. 2016, in Georgia, uh, in the presidential election, obviously, we've heard that in the governor's race in Georgia. And I'm not saying, you know, they're wrong to question the results, but it has been denial on both sides, and it has now mm -hmm. come through the system, and it is going to be implanted in a very scary way. So, Rick, what do you believe uh, or what's your thought on this story here that Donald Trump's working up a, uh, an announcement November 14th on or around? Uh, financially speaking, would it make sense for him to do that, knowing that he doesn't want to lose money or spend more than he needs to? Uh, or is clearing the field more valuable right now? 
Well, sometimes clearing the field means having a big pocketbook out there, right? Mm -hmm. And and that you're prepared to use it. And I think that's an important distinction with Trump. First of all, this is exactly what Donald Trump said over the summertime that he was going to announce very, very, very likely um, right before this election. And everybody was freaking out about it. Oh, my God, what a crazy move that would be. Well, it turned yeah. out he even agreed with that. And so, um, yeah, it's what he says, but you can't always trust what he says. Um, yeah. John McCain used to say when he was talking about Trump, listen to what he says. But like, you know, it's usually different than what he does. And so <laughs> okay. see what he does. Um, the reality, too, is he doesn't spend his own money. So this idea right. of clearing the field because you've got hundreds of millions of dollars in the account um, may not hold true only because he doesn't spend. Rick and Jeannie, our signature panel, we're bringing Emily Wilkins next as Paul Pelosi gets out of the hospital. This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On as we have just finally heard from Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Uh, didn't hold a public event or anything, but a virtual call with supporters and spoke for the first time here following the uh, the attack on her husband, Paul Pelosi, one week ago today. That's what we were talking about last Friday at this time. Here she is. It's going to be a long haul, but he will be well. And it, it's just so tragic how it happened. But nonetheless, we have to be optimistic he's surrounded by family so that's a wonderful thing and doctors uh, and in back home as well as we've been telling you paul pelosi has been released from the hospital in san francisco and as the speaker just indicated it's going to take a long time uh, to repair a skull fracture uh, that he had surgery on for that to heal other injuries as well that were sustained during the attack and we've learned more about it it's just the horrifying stuff here uh, in newly obtained court documents. Prosecutors say uh, this started just after 2 a.m. Uh, David DePap, is that what we're going with now? I hear every, my God, is everyone, that's DePepe, DePap. I believe it's David DePap stood over Paul Pelosi sleeping in bed. Okay, so he woke up to this. Just put yourself in this, you know, and you're in bed alone. Spouse is gone. Apparently no security, uh, at least physical security. And you wake up to somebody calling your name, asking if you're Paul Pelosi. Guy's holding a big hammer in his right hand and zip ties in his left hand. The pap says, where's Nancy? That's when this all started. Where's Nancy? And Paul Pelosi's new waking up. She's not here. And so he wanted to know, well, when's she going to be back? And when he said, she's, well, she's in Washington, he says, okay, well, I'm going to tie you up. He told him this was the end of the road for him. Pulled him out of bed. And of course told the police he was on a suicide mission. So there's a lot of questions here about 
obviously motivation. And some pretty scary stuff as this becomes, in some cases, and I'll tell you what I mean in a moment, uh, a point of almost comedy for some of Nancy Pelosi's critics. Emily Wilkins has been all over this. Of course, you know her well from this broadcast because she covers the leadership in the House. This is like Emily's crew here reporting for Bloomberg government and keeping us up to date with everything that's going on. Emily, thanks for being here. I know you're in the throes of midterm coverage as well, but this is all connected here. And what a massive uh, distraction for the speaker here, essentially on the eve of midterm elections. What are you hearing about her well-being? It's been a week since she's been out in public. Are we going to be seeing her over the weekend? Certainly there there are many concerns, um, you know, for Pelosi, for her husband, Paul Pelosi. We've heard that from from Democrats. We have heard that from Republicans who have spoken up. Um, Certainly we've heard other Republicans who have tried to make light of the matter, who have tried to uh, sort of parlay it into politics. You heard Glenn Youngkin be like, you know, we're going to send Pelosi home to California, meaning that, you know, they're. So it's been a bit of a mixed response here, really. Uh, I have to say, though, at a certain point, I mean, we're at this moment where a lot of other folks within the Democratic Party are out there on the campaign trail. I mean, you've got Biden going places. You've got Vice President Kamala Harris going places. You had Hillary Clinton show up in New York. You have a number of surrogates crisscrossing the country. And yes, Pelosi is a machine when it comes to fundraising. She is one of the best fundraisers out there. But as far as doing individual events, I mean, this is something that that everyone's just having to work through at this point. I think there are a lot of folks out on, on the trail Although I, I would be I would imagine that we are going to be hearing from her next week um, as the elections get underway, as well as after the elections, because the big question in D.C. Uh, post the elections is what her future is going right. to be. She's and that's what I want to ask you about yeah. here, because something like this happens to you, Emily. It's either going to I mean, it's going to impact your worldview. It's going to impact the way you look at yourself and, of course, the role that you play in your family and all this other stuff. Um, does it make her want to run more, which I could see, by the way, in her, the history of her personality, her character, or just say, you know what, to hell with it. I'm just, I'm going to retire after this. I mean, that that's such a great question, Joe. And, and I think Pelosi is always... Um, sort of this this master strategist who's always you know she's she's playing that sort of three dimensional chess. I mean, say yeah. say what you want about Pelosi, but she is someone who, from a legislative perspective, from a policy, from a politics perspective, certainly knows how to play the game. Will what happened with her husband factor into any decisions she makes? It absolutely must. But certainly she's been thinking about this moment for some time now. I mean, we saw her four years ago say, I'll only do two more terms as speaker and then give the gavel to someone else, especially if Republicans win on Tuesday, win control of the House as they are expected to do so. It really seems like that kind of maybe opens up a path for new Democratic leadership to come in. But you know what, Joe, you you talk to folks all throughout this city and you'll get a lot of speculation. You'll get a lot of thoughts, but mm-hmm. but real, there's no consensus here in, in yeah, D.C. about something? what Nancy Pelosi is going to be doing. And keeps things nice and tight around there. Although Hakeem Jeffries, I mean, he's going to be reelected, right? And the, and the talk really is that he's the he's the speaker in waiting. The question is, I guess, what would she do potentially for the next two years in the minority? 
That, that certainly is a question. And we're certainly expecting Pelosi to continue to hold the gavel to be speaker throughout the lame duck mm-hmm. session. There's more that Democrats want to do. There's things that they think that they can do, that they can get over the finish line in between November and uh, January 3rd of next year. And she'll be there to guide it. I mean, she's had a very tough job these last two years working with, uh, you know, it's a it's a five vote margin, but sometimes it's been as low as four or three. Keeping right. everyone in her caucus together has has been no small task. How true. Uh, well, I always love talking to Emily. Good luck with your coverage this weekend. We'll be together on election night. Of course, Emily will be uh, on Capitol Hill as part of our special election coverage. Listen to Donald Trump. Remember, I told you he was in Iowa last night referring to the Speaker of the House. We're going to end crazy Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. Yeah, a lot of that going around. When you hear what Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, was saying, even more the reaction at that same rally, you'll know what I'm talking about as we reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie in waiting here on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll check traffic and markets for you as you would expect and get back to the conversation. This is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcast, And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The listener tweets that I just said there's a conversation in this country about whether political violence is appropriate. Uh, I may not have said it the right way, Miguel, but it's not a lie. We've been talking about this a lot here and specifically that poll. Remember this from the COVID States Project? That found nearly a quarter of Americans say it's sometimes okay to use violence against the government. One in 10 Americans say violence is justified right now. I mean, I don't know. I didn't take the poll, but 23,000 people around the country uh, were part of this project. And when you hear the rhetoric out there, I mean, my goodness. It seems like somebody's talking about it. We reassembled the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzana were here, of course, as always, on Bloomberg Sound On. Marjorie Taylor Greene was at the uh, Trump rally in Iowa and mentioned Paul Pelosi, by the way. It was less about what she said, although that made headlines and, and more about the crowd reaction. Listen, Americans are robbed, stabbed, raped, kidnapped, carjacked and murdered. But only the only crime victim you hear about from Democrats in the media is Paul Pelosi. <laughs> Boo, the... Uh... Paul Pelosi was brutally attacked by a drugged out illegal alien that should have been deported. And Paul Pelosi should have been a gun owner and shot his attacker. Right. Look, I don't know that, that part. But yes, he's an undocumented. He's from he's Canadian. You heard that, right? But yeah, the Pelosi brand, I'll tell you what, is uh, about as divisive as it gets in American politics. Jeannie, what does it tell you when you hear a crowd respond like that? 
You know, it explains in part why uh, she has raised millions of dollars, why Kevin McCarthy has her standing behind him when he's making speeches, why she is saying that if McCarthy doesn't listen to her, he's going to have a very difficult time if he's elected speaker, because this is what is selling to the base of the Republican Party, and they are buying into it. And that's where we have to say, shame on us. Um, she is doing this because it has been lucrative for her, and there is no leadership in the Republican Party who will stand up and say enough is enough. And that is where leadership really does matter. She's not going to be shot down or, you know, uh, quelled at all by Kevin McCarthy or anybody else in the leadership. And so she will continue to raise money and she will continue to be a powerful force in this party until somebody comes in and, you know, tamps down on this kind Mm -hmm. of rhetoric that is so violent and so divisive. Rick, this uh, this guy tweeting uh, at our conversation right now says that uh, that the conversations about whether people like Joe will be permitted to blame Republicans when a Democrat is attacked and then either ignore when Republicans are attacked or just call it mental illness. Um, I, I, I really we all I think all three of us try to play this as, as down the middle as we can here and look at and we have referenced cases on both sides here of political violence going back years But to what extent have Democrats missed the mark on not addressing the crime issue? Because that, Rick, is where this has been going when it comes to Republican critics. They say, "Okay, yes, this happened to Paul Pelosi, but it's another instance of crime in a city like San Francisco that Democrats won't talk about. Yeah, I think this is really the fundamental thing. I mean, I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, she just uses all these kinds of divisive rhetoric to, you know, divide people and and create anger amongst the base, which then I think she thinks will help turn them out. We'll see. But, um, yeah, this is a missed opportunity by Democrats. They, they control virtually every major city. Uh, they're ma- you know, mayoral leadership in the country um, where most of this record uh, uh, crime wave is going on. And yet they've really just sort of kicked it down the road. I mean, you can see governor's races after governor's races, uh, state-wide uh, 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 constitutional offices, uh, Senate where where Democrats are in peril. And one of the reasons it's not the only reason, but one of the reasons is because uh, voters are telling us that they want something done on crime and and there doesn't seem to be an answer. Forget a policy or program, but even an answer on the part of the Democrats. It's too late to fix that if that's the case, Jeannie, with uh, what are we four days to go? But what do Democrats have a reckoning ahead when it comes to that issue? They absolutely do. I live in New York, and this is the number one issue, according to most polls, on the minds of New Yorkers as they head to the polls. And this is why our gubernatorial race is so close at this point in a state that's overwhelmingly Democratic. And Democrats have had signs of this that they have gone unnoticed and unheeded for a long time. Go back to 2021. Democrats were getting hit in the suburbs on this very issue and haven't addressed it. And so it is something that they are going to have to reckon with. You're right. It's far too late. I sent out to you and Rick and and, uh, other people today a great piece that I recommend to everybody by Stanley Greenberg talking about, I think it's titled, How Democrats Mishandled Crime. And, um, you know, in my own state, I will just give an example for your listener. Bail reform is something that has been an issue for several years. Democrats made a huge misstep on that. The governor may pay for it. Come up in every debate. Come up in every debate. And the head of the 
DC, DC, DCCC may pay for that very mistake. So it is something to be reckoned with. And the reality is people who Democrats claim are their base constituency are very concerned about crime. And it hasn't been addressed by their own party. So they start to look elsewhere. And that's why Republicans are making inroads in blue states. Before I change the topic uh, slightly here, Jeannie, does that mean that Lee Zeldin's going to be your next governor? It, he could be. I still think Kathy Hochul likely pull it out just numbers wise, but it's going to be far too close for comfort. But if it goes Zeldin early on Tuesday night, we know that we are in for a tsunami on the Republican side because he should not be winning a state with these numbers. It's, it's an uphill battle if he does it. It's because Democrats really flubbed this. Well, he's really seized on that issue um, in a successful way that that a lot of uh, other Republicans have as well. Uh, you know, speaking of tweets, they're tweeting at us while we're talking here, which I always love and invite people to do. Uh, Twitter's in the news just all day, every day now because of Elon, uh, who's like, he's man, what a week Elon Musk has had. Uh, he says the advertisers are they're going away here and a, quote, massive drop in revenue, unquote, even though no changes have been made. This whole thing. I mean, I'm assuming what do I know about how they cook up the uh, the algorithms on these uh, social media pages? But the fact of the matter is nothing has actually been announced. They have announced some layoffs, apparently, but. Uh, we've had Audi go away, Pfizer pulled, General Mills, all temporarily pausing, spending on ads while they wait to see what happens under Elon Musk's leadership. Uh, he tweets, extremely messed up, exclamation point. They're trying to destroy free speech in America, referring to uh, activists who, of course, you know, these. can you imagine these advertisers are hearing from them all day long? Enter AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, always uh, just highly capable in seizing the moment here for for some publicity. She was criticizing Elon Musk about the blue check costing. You know, they're going to charge you now for the notification, which is why a lot of us will see our blue checks go away. Uh, Eight bucks a month. She thought that was ridiculous. And she says that Elon Musk, in fact, retaliated. Listen. So I pulled my Twitter app and it's like gone, like when you pull up your mentions and stuff like that, it's just like literally like a blank screen, totally gone. And I was like, hmm, that's weird. So it turns out we got under a certain little billionaire skin. Cause I made fun of his silly little plan to charge people for verification and priority placement. You pay $8 so people see your tweets more. And it's silly. It's silly, she says. She's eating, uh, eating the whole time. <laughs> She's looking at the camera talking i don't know was it a bagel what the heck was going on very hungry to couldn't get the video done yet uh and went on to talk about this because you know then he retaliated with a tweet photographing something on her website a sweatshirt that he thought was going for too much money uh and she comes back for more here's aoc whenever you have one person that has amassed that much socially influential wealth usually off of the backs of skimming off of and underpaying working people or exploiting them or the planet in some way. Like when they've amassed that much, it does not help society. Hmm. In fact, it hurts society. Okay. Rick Davis, that's the message though, really, but that, that she's making here. Billionaires are bad. Is that the message of the Democratic Party? Well, that's certainly been her message. Uh, she wrote it to a election victory and when she first got elected and yep. subsequently. And, and, and it's been her entire platform for 
finance policy, right? Let's let's have billionaire tax co- uh, uh, tax charges and things like that. So, you know, she's just being consistent, right? I mean, like, and mm-hmm. he just happens to be the largest target he in sure the is. world. He's the richest man. He's got Twitter. He's got all these other assets. And and I think that you're going to see, especially the liberal progressive caucus in the Democratic House unleashed on people like him, right? Anybody with any wealth who upsets their cultural appetite is going to get hammered the way this is happening. Now, at the same time, you know, you can argue with how he's administering his leadership over Twitter and, you know, she might have some points on some of this stuff, but to do it with a McNugget in your mouth, I mean, come on, (laughs) clean up your act. Your mother didn't teach you to go and do things on, you know, Twitter with food in your mouth. I still believe there's a time and a place for everything. The, the congresswoman does everything on purpose is my my personal theory, Jeannie. Like, I mean, everything is so carefully calculated. She wanted to do that almost as a way, I don't know, to show disrespect to Elon Musk. What did you make of it? It made me hungry. I have to be honest. <laughs> I was hungry listening. And I Get don't some know. Sweet and sour sauce, for God's sake. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, so yeah, she does things on purpose. She does them well. Um, I think you should get sound on sweatshirts and sell them for 50 bucks, <laughs> Joe Matthew. Fastest right. hour sweatshirts. Real Go goods. ahead. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think you'll make a killing there, Joe Matthew. You'll be able to afford <laughs> your verification check. Well, get ready to hear a lot more about billionaires in the next two years. Uh, Jeannie, thank you so much. And Rick Davis, our signature panel. Thanks to Bearded Miguel on Twitter. You guys have a great weekend. I'll meet you back here Monday. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.